Bible with you. Um, we're in Galatians chapter 2. And um, I guess it's not an understatement to think that um, this writing, it's one of the earliest writings in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And uh, some of the things that we've sung about tonight have been made real because of this letter. The freedom that we have in Christ um, is partly due to Paul's courage in making a stand in the very early days of the church. And although sometimes when we read Paul's letters, we, we kind of struggle with things, we don't understand it all, uh, we're so grateful to him. And uh, I wanted to read the whole of chapter 2, and I know it's kind of like, oh my word. Um, and there's a lot there. But as, as you hear it read or see it on the screen, I want you just to be thinking about what are the big issues that Paul's dealing with? And then I might ask you, what do you think are the big issues in this chapter? So that's just so that you won't fall asleep while we read this passage. You think, all right, snooze time. Okay. So, Galatians chapter 2. Paul writes, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who is, was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. And then there's a gap of time. And another encounter happens between Paul and Peter. When Peter, or Cephas, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to withdraw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I know we've had three messages on chapter one. And you could probably do three messages on chapter two, but I just want to do the one covering that whole chapter. So anyone think of the big issues that came out of that chapter? Anyone, just any words or uh, themes? Don't be shy, just shout them out. Justification. Justification, okay. Got that one, yep. Salvation through faith, not by works. Salvation through faith, not by works, yep. Christ has superseded the law. Ooh, Christ has superseded the law. <laughs> Anyone hear the word circumcision? No one mentions it. The law and the gospel we've had. Okay. Great. These are some of the uh, principles here. The bane of Paul's life were his opponents. Wherever he seemed to go, Paul had opponents. Within the Jewish context, he was hated. Because he was one of them and he's turned sides. He's become a follower of Jesus and they hate him. Among the pagans, they can't get Paul at all and they try and discredit him wherever he goes. Because he's preaching that you can only be saved by Jesus Christ 
and nothing else and no one else. And all their pagan idols and uh, religious practices are worthless. And he's also hated by a group of Christians. And they're known as Judaizers. And these are the ones who are stirring up trouble for him and he responds to in this letter because they are Jews who have become followers of Jesus who are saying, well, Jesus was a Jew. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to become a Jew to follow Jesus. And if you have to become a Jew to follow Jesus, there are certain things you need to do. You need to obey the law. And there are loads of them. And there are some practical things that mark us out as Jews. And one of them is circumcision. It was given to Abraham. It's our identity. So if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, don't listen to Paul. You need to become a Jew first. And Paul says, no. And I'm so grateful. As an uncircumcised Gentile standing before you who believes in Jesus. That the other sides didn't win the argument. We would not be here. No sooner has Paul moved and planted a gospel in some locality. There are those who oppose him. And he calls them false Teachers challenging the truth of the gospel that Paul preached, undermining his authority. He's not a real apostle. He didn't travel around with Jesus. He wasn't there. Who does he think he is? And they try and discredit his message. So for Paul, when he writes the letter to the Galatians, probably the earliest Christian writings that we have, he is staking something in the ground and saying, no, this is so important. I cannot let this not go unchallenged. For, for Paul, it's the truth of the gospel that is at stake, the very principle of grace. That salvation is not earned but received as a gift. That there's nothing that we can actually contribute to our own salvation. Christ has done it all. The value of his death. So in this passage, as he writes to the Galatians, who had been led astray, he tries to put things right again. He describes his visit to Jerusalem. This is another visit. He made one after three years you know, in Arabia, when he went to Damascus, he escaped from Damascus, he went to Jerusalem. But now he's back again later, probably about 14 years later. And it's interesting that he says he goes in response to a revelation. He didn't go because he was summoned by the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul, get Paul down here. What's he doing? He wasn't commanded to go. He, he says he responded to a revelation. What he's saying there, he believes God told him to go to Jerusalem. It was a revelation. A nudge from God. And as he goes to Jerusalem, he presents to the leaders in Jerusalem the gospel he preached to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, if you read that passage, 
is an account of what happened. It's written later on by Luke. Shall we read it? Alan, can we have that on the screen? Acts chapter 15. Obviously written by Luke. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some others, believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. As they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and dressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Luke writes that bit later on. Galatians is much earlier than that. When he, Paul writes, he says he goes to Jerusalem from a nudge from God. Gives that impression in Acts that actually there was a dispute and they were sent. But here he says it was God's Holy Spirit nudged him to go. And he says, I wanted to be sure I was not running my race in vain. Did you hear that as we read it? That phrase. That will appear again and again in Paul's writings. That metaphor of running the race. Here it is for the very first time. I wanted to make sure I was not running my race in vain. I personally am convinced that that Paul would have never have changed what he was doing, even if the disciples in Jerusalem had said, don't do that. The presenting issue is circumcision, but for Paul, it goes obviously deeper than just that outward show. Does the church have two Gospels? This is the very truth of the Gospel at stake, says Paul. It's about our freedom in Christ. He says that false believers had infiltrated us to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. The freedom is this. Salvation, being saved, forgiven, accepted by God is by faith alone in the work of Jesus Christ. Not Christ plus something else, but by faith alone in the finished work of Christ. These Judaizers, this group of Jewish Christians, were saying that Christians, Gentiles, who had become believers in Jesus, needed to obey the law, which meant needed to be circumcised. It's a question of identity. 
It hadn't been an issue in the early church, obviously, because in the very early church, they were all Jews. It wasn't an issue. You circumcised? Yeah, of course I'm circumcised. I'm a Jew. It's when the gospel started spreading out to the Gentile world that it became a really big issue. And Paul treats it as a red line. He can't let this go by. For Paul, our identity is not in an outward sign. Our identity is not in anything else other than Jesus Christ. That's our identity. But for these legalists, it was an outward in righteousness. For Paul, it's an inside out righteousness. It begins with being healed by God, all our sins forgiven, and we love him as a result of all that he's done for us. We don't seek to impress him by our goodness. We seek to love him as a response to his love for us. We're saved because of what Jesus did, full stop. Jesus, who was perfect and offered his perfect life as a sacrifice for our imperfect life. When he died on the cross, he dies for us. Paul writes to the Galatians and says, actually, the gospel I preached was endorsed by the leaders. Because the rumor that was going was, no, Paul went against the Jerusalem leaders. But he says in this letter, no, they agreed. Why is this an issue still as we read this book? Because legalism has a way of just rearing its head again and again throughout Christian history. The Reformation, 500 years ago. Why did we need a Reformation? Because the church had completely lost its way. Had become corrupt to the core. And it needed to be reformed. Reformed. In the light of the teaching of the scriptures. That's what Luther stood for. Because the church had got involved with selling salvation. You can buy it. Give the church enough money, we'll pray for you. You might have less time in purgatory, which isn't even a biblical principle. Buy indulgences and you can even, other people who are related to you might get, you know, promoted. It had lost its way. Religion has a way of sneaking back in. Now our own good works get smuggled in to supplement the work of Jesus Christ. That's what religion is all about. That's why Christianity is so unique. It's not a religion in that sense. It's not about us. It's about him. Not what we can do for God, but what God has done for us. Roll on a couple of hundred years. The Wesleys, who were probably the... In, in terms of Whitfield and Wesley, great evangelists, brought revival to the United Kingdom. But if you read their story, they founded a, what they called the Holy Club when they were at Oxford. 
It was a strict regime of Bible reading, prayer, fasting, self-reform. And we'd read it and think, yeah, brilliant. They must have looked like super Christians. But their own testimony was this. When they looked back, they concluded they had not been Christians at all. Because of all their religious doing was to earn favor with God. And when they suddenly realized he loved them anyway, that it was not about what they were doing, how much you prayed, how much you fasted, how much you gave. It was a gift. And when they received that gift, they came alive in the Holy Spirit and brought revival with them. And the overflow of revival was a holiness movement when people wanted to be right with God. And they wanted to spend time in prayer. And they loved reading the Bible. There was a difference though. They were slaves before. Now there were sons and daughters who said, what a privilege it is. We're loved by God. We're free. We don't have to do this out of duty or earning points with God. And maybe you've had experience, maybe even in your own walk with God where you've experienced the religiousness creeping in. Christ plus this makes you a good Christian. No, it's Christ is everything. That's your identity. Nothing else. Not an outward in righteousness, but an inside out righteousness. The overflow of that being thanksgiving in faithfulness to God. Scene changes. We're still in chapter 2, but the scene changes as Paul describes another encounter with Peter. Now we're up in Antioch, 300 miles away from Jerusalem and the center of the Gentile mission. It's where people who followed Jesus were first called Christians. It was a nickname given to people who followed Jesus. Little Messiahs, it means, or little Christs, or Christ's people. And what happens in this situation, and Paul writes about it, he clashes with Peter again. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And you're going, what? These are the two big apostles in the early church. Paul opposes Peter to his face. Doesn't say, Peter, can I have a word privately? I need to have a quick word with you up front. Poses him to his face. Why? Because Peter had come up to Antioch with others. And at first, everything had been okay. He'd been eating with the Gentiles, fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And then a group comes up from Jerusalem Maybe sent by James, but we don't think they were in James's name because of what we read in Luke, in Acts. But they were these Judaizers. And they were a powerful lobby, pressure group. And Peter is afraid of them. Peter, the apostle, afraid of them? Why? Because they might go back to Jerusalem and say, look, Peter, he's lost the plot completely. He's abandoned everything that we've stood for. 
He's eating with Gentiles. He's mixing with Gentiles. He's not keeping the law anymore. And he is afraid of them. And so he stops. He withdraws. He stops having fellowship with Gentile believers. And not only him, Paul says, even Barnabas, his mate Barnabas, has stepped back as well. This circumcision group had an influence. And Paul says, I cannot let this go. This has to be confronted. And he confronts Peter to his face and accuses him of hypocrisy. Gosh. What a tense, dramatic moment. Those two leading apostles in open conflict. But he is sure Peter is in the wrong. And you know what? Peter knows he's in the wrong. Peter, the one who was sent by God to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile. Peter, who had that vision from God saying, God says, nothing is unclean. You go, you preach the gospel. And as he preached to them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, wow, now I know God, his message of salvation is for everybody, not just for Jews. That's happened before this incident, before this letter is written. So Peter knows that he's in the wrong. Paul knows he's in the wrong. Peter is swayed by that opinion of that little group, that lobby group. And Paul says, we cannot. We cannot compromise the gospel for any lobby group. It is all about Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Peter is fearless in so many ways. Yet if you see Peter's life, there are moments of fear that get hold of him. Peter walks on water. How many of you have walked on water? Peter walked on water. He didn't sink immediately. He walked on water. As he was walking to Jesus, then he saw the waves and he was afraid, sank. Peter was so courageous that when Jesus was arrested, he followed him very, to the very court of Caiaphas' house, to that, that place where, where the servants were gathered and the fire was there. He was so brave. He followed Jesus. But then when a servant girl says, you're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? You're a Galilean. You've got a northern accent. I can tell. He said, I don't even know him. There are moments when Peter is fearless and there are moments when Peter is full of fear. And here he caves in and Paul calls him out and says, you're a hypocrite. See the gentle way that Paul deals with things, you know. His pastoral heart comes out for Peter. Peter. 
Because Paul knows what's at stake is so, so important. And Paul stood his ground. And Paul's argument wins. Thank God. Because we don't have two gospels. We don't have two churches. I know you may argue the point that we have thousands and thousands of denominations because we can't agree on everything that we do and how we do it and all that. That's true, but there's still only one church of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, he's not coming for multiple churches. He's coming for one church, his bride. One gospel, one church, one faith. It's a huge moment in the early church. We perhaps don't appreciate it when we do our reading. I'm reading through Galatians, a bit tough. Can't wait to get to Ephesians. That's a nicer letter. This marks a crucial moment in the history of the church. And it's one we have to go back to again and again and again that we don't compromise the gospel that we don't get led astray into different kind of interpretations of the gospel. One church, one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we belong to Christ, our previous identities are irrelevant. Whatever we were before. How many of you go around, well, I was a Gentile, but no, I'm a believer in Jesus. Christ. He's our identity in Christ alone. That's the gospel. And then he ends that chapter as he writes this letter with this wonderful description of justification. How we get right with God. He says, he's saying, I'm a Jew. I was a Jew. I was a Pharisee. And you know what? I could never keep the law. Because the law was never meant to be a means of salvation. It was there to point us that we needed God. He says we are not justified by the law. We are justified by faith in Christ alone. Our salvation is not earned, not worked for, but received as a gift. We were all sinners, guilty and under the judgment of God, But God in his mercy has lavished his love upon us and we are saved by faith, grace. That we may be pardoned and accepted by the sheer grace of God, his free, unmerited favor on the grounds of the sacrifice of Jesus and nothing else. Any deviation for this, adding to it, is not the gospel says Paul. The word justified is the opposite of the word condemned. We are justified by faith in Christ. means we are not condemned. We are accepted in Christ. Justified by faith alone. It's a lesson the church needs to keep relearning and relearning and relearning.
hope that answered some of the questions that were raised in your mind as we read this passage. Let's just pray together. I'm going to invite Tim and the band to come back.